Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is Kate Erickson. She's known as the Engine at Entrepreneurs on Fire, which is an award-winning podcast where John Lee Dumas interviews the inspiring entrepreneurs who are truly on fire. She's also the co-author of the podcast journal, Idea to Launch in 50 Days. In 2008, Kate earned her degree in English with high hopes of becoming a college professor, but realized it was far from becoming a reality due to funding cuts across the state of California. So she went after any job she should get, which eventually placed her into the HR department at a bank. In 2013, Kate left her corporate job at an advertising and marketing agency to create the life she wanted to live as an entrepreneur. Working with John Lee Dumas, founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, she's active as John's partner, achieving fulfillment and loving what she does at the engine of the company, helping entrepreneurs achieve financial and lifestyle freedom through developing systems and processes that can help scale their businesses and help them grow. So Kate, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Cameron, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And in full disclosure to everybody else, we were about 14 minutes into talking in the interview and I forgot to press record third time in 160 <laughs> some on episodes. So we're going to try to go back to the beginning. And I wanted to ask you, because we were in a good good zone where you're talking all about your relationship with John and, and how it's working so well in the CEO-CEO relationship. What, what was it that had you uh, or made you decide to want to work with John, especially when he was your partner um, what was it that made you want to work with him both as a partner and the business itself? Yep. So John and I were in a pretty new personal relationship when he started the business. And then of course, still when he asked me to join the business and, uh, that definitely created some hesitation. I was kind of worried about like what that might do to our personal relationship at being so new still. Um, but I highly respected John and, and what he had created with Entrepreneurs on Fire up until that point. And I thought, you know what, this, so like maybe a year prior, I had tried to start my own business and I failed miserably. Um, actually, at the time I failed, but now, you know, of course, it's all these great lessons. And I look back and I learned so much from that, but uh, all that to say that the business didn't work out. Um, and so I, I had in my mind, this idea that entrepreneurship could help me create the exact life that I wanted to live. And that perhaps I didn't need to have a boss who dictated when I could go on vacation and when I had to clock in and clock out. And so the idea that I would be joining John on the team and we'd be creating this thing together was definitely attractive to me. Um, I really had a, a deep seated interest in figuring out what it would be like if I could own my future and create my own freedom and all of this. So, um, aside from being quite concerned about our personal relationship and what this might do to it, um, John and I sat down, we are both very resourceful people. So we thought, okay, let's try and figure this out. What do we need to, what do each of us need to figure out right now for this to either be a clear yes or a clear no? And I think a big part of it for me was I didn't understand where I fit into the business. And I didn't want to just come in as like somebody that was keeping the books or someone that was routing emails and doing that kind of stuff. Like I, if I was coming into this business, I wanted a position in this business. And 
a big part of that was really understanding what I had to bring to the table. And so John and I took um, several assessments to try and figure out so that we could like clearly lay out in front of us what each of us is best at. So we did Myers-Briggs, we did Sally Hogshead's How to Fascinate, and both of those were just very eye-opening and both of us seeing probably, like I definitely didn't see it before, that John and I were really perfect opposites. Everything that was a strong suit or strong point for his was a week of mine and vice versa. So that helped me see clearly like, okay, he needs someone like me in this business for it to grow and be successful. And, Mm. and I love all those things that are strengths of mine and that I'm good at. And that I probably didn't even realize that I was great at them before, but now I have, you know, all this data showing me that, yes, this is what you're best at. Um, So from there, we kind of sat down and talked about, okay, how can we create lanes for ourselves, so to speak, um, so that we're not stepping on each other's toes, so that we're not constantly in disagreement, so that we're not constantly wondering, like, are you responsible for this? Am I responsible for this? And I think just personality wise, that for both of us was really important. I knew that that would certainly help in uh, keeping our personal relationship well intact. And, um, and I also, I've always been someone who I'm very good. If you give me a task or a project and tell me to go to work and figure it out, Mm. I can do that. What I can't do is micromanaging. So being able to clearly see what lane each of us was going to be in and know that we had full responsibility over that was like, okay, now we know that we're great at opposites and we have clear path lane for each of us. Like, let's do this. I like that you use some of the personality profiles as well to get to know each other's kind of strengths or weaknesses or the way that you show up. And then I love that you kind of divided the roles and responsibilities. How do you make sure that the business, the normal stresses of the CEO CEO relationship don't, you know, impact your personal life? What do you, what, what systems do you have to prevent that from happening? Yeah, John and I definitely spent a good amount of time in the beginning talking about boundaries. I knew that that was going to be incredibly important as to not like b- start to blend business and personal. The mm-hmm. last thing I mm-hmm. wanted is for it to just always be all about like us being partners and business and and all yeah, of that. How really how how new were you in the relationship when you started with them? We had been uh when I started with a business, we had been dating for about a year. Okay. So still kind of the buttery haze phase though. Like you're still in that, like, you're amazing. I love you too. And yeah. So yeah, you don't want it to just take over your life. Right. Well, and what was unique about John and I's relationship is we moved in together pretty much when we started dating. So we kind of like dove head first into the relationship thing and it was working out great, but I'm like, ah, this is like kind of a big thing to add into that. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what do you do then to prevent that from happening? How do you prevent work from kind of becoming all consuming in the, in the 24 hours a day? And, and even in the natural disagreements that you have to have as a CEO and a COO, how do you prevent that from coming into the personal side? Knowing that you've also got the high trust because you're in a personal relationship, you bring a really high degree of trust and and connection with each other, which is really hard to build when you're just a, you know, a CEO, COO that might be friends. A big boundary for us was having cutoff time for business. Before I joined the team, I saw John get up at like 5 a.m. in the morning and be so excited to work. And he'd work for like, I don't even know how many hours on end and he'd still be excited about working. I'm like, what's going on with this guy? (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, having kind of a cutoff time where we can say, okay, business is done. Like now, 
how our time together is spent as a, a couple um, was big for us. So we kind of found that like dinner time was a great cutoff point. Like we were shifting in our day, we were shifting our mode. Um, so sitting down to dinner together is kind of like, okay, th- our business relationship is like done for the day. And, and now do you it's cut it? To- like if, if somebody has like an idea, Hey, what do you think about this marketing idea? Do you go like tomorrow? Like, do you, do you just kind of, sh- you hold the door closed to it? Not always, but they, but we do have a very uh, strict agreement with each other that either of us can shut it down. Right. So, um, you know, we might be on the couch hanging out, watching a TV program, and one of us will hit pause and start talking about a business idea or something like, or start right. brainstorming or like, oh, did you see that email from today or something like that? I mean, that totally happens. Um, but it's usually a pretty quick thing, like a note for tomorrow. Right. Um, and, and if it does become longer than that, then at any time, either of us can say, I don't want to talk about this right now. That doesn't really happen too often. Um, that one of us is like, I don't want to talk about this right now, because as you know, as entrepreneurs and running businesses, and even when you're in the COO role, I mean, like you have passion and interest and love for what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's usually like a, yeah, this is fun. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Would you have joined the company as a second in command or in this role? Had you not been in a relationship? Was there, was the company attractive enough to you at that early stage or was it, yeah, like this guy and he likes me and let's build something together. Wow. No one has ever asked me that question before. That's really interesting. So I definitely, the unique thing about John and I is of course that we're in a personal relationship and we're in a personal relationship and living together when, when John had the idea for this, when he was brainstorming it, when he was building it, when he launched it, even though I wasn't on the team yet, I got to see all of that happen. And because of that, I was very close to his passion, his idea, his vision, and all of that. And I loved all of that. I was fully on board with that. Um, if, I wasn't with John. I'm not really sure that I would have been looking for that type of position. I just didn't know that that existed at that time. I was working at a marketing and advertising agency as an account executive, like managing ad campaigns and that kind of stuff. So I just don't know that I would have been seeking that out. Yeah, makes sense. Did So tell us what EO Fire is all about. What's Entrepreneurs on Fire? Kind of give us the core products or services that you have within the, within the company? Yep. So, uh, the podcast is our platform, our base, our foundation. Um, John interviews successful entrepreneurs, um, shares their journey. Now we're moving into sort of more like a masterclass. So we have people on to talk about their specific expertise to help our audience in that area of their business, um, core, uh, products and services that we have. So podcasters paradise is our flagship course. Um, We launched that in October, 2013. So we've been running that for quite some time now. And we teach people how to create, grow, monetize their own podcast. Um, We also have some other online courses. Uh, Real Revenue is one of them uh, where we help people take their big idea and turn that into a successful business with funnel and products and services. We have on and off run masterminds before. We've done in-person events here in Puerto Rico where we live. Um, Of course, we have sponsorships for the podcast. We have affiliate relationships with some companies and our journals and book. So we have three journals, the Freedom Journal, which focuses on goal setting, uh, the Mastery Journal, which focuses on productivity, discipline, and focus, and the podcast 
journal, which teaches you how to go from idea to launch in 50 days. So we have all of those set up on Shopify sites in addition to Amazon. And mm. then John just re recently launched his first traditionally published book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success. So that's our most recent launch, if you will. And is the podcast itself really the front edge of the wedge? Like, is it the front, is it the front of all of your marketing and everything else? The brand Yes, seems to be, it's yep. done really, really well. When, when did you guys start the podcast or when did John start? He launched September, 2012. So a few years after you'd even joined or oh, no, right, right uh, when you were joining. No, well, he, so about six months before I joined. Yeah. So he launched the podcast and had that running. I joined about six months later. And what do you think made that podcast successful? What, what parts did you bring that made that successful? I know you said that so you really- So after I joined the team? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, John really started the ball rolling, right? He had traction momentum because of the time that he started, because of the incredible guests he was able to get on the show. Um, he was the only person doing a daily podcast that interviewed entrepreneurs at the time. So there's a lot of things working for that initial traction and momentum. When I joined the team, it allowed us to start offering like uh, products and services outside of, he had started kind of dabbling in sponsorships a little bit. He had maybe like a handful of mentees at that point, people that he was coaching or providing consulting to individuals. But when I joined the team, we were able to actually launch courses and products. Mm -hmm. um, and without, I, I feel like without the supports a huge part of that, right? Because when you start taking on recurring clients and recurring payments, um, not only are you setting up all the systems to be able to manage that, but you're also taking on a whole new, like you are, you are investing money in me and I owe you something in return on a recurring basis. Um, so being able to team up for that was, was pretty huge. I don't know that John could have continued running the podcast the way that he was doing sponsorships, doing mentorship and launch. Uh, our first thing was a mastermind. So we welcomed 50 people into a mastermind, which we called Fire Nation Elite. Um, that was July of 2013. So about two months after I joined the team, three months after I joined the team. Wow. So you brought lots in. I know that you mentioned that in your past business that you said you failed and then you later kind of corrected. And I agree that you didn't really fail. There's just lots of learning that have come from it. What are some of the learnings that you've pulled from that past business and how did you kind of uh, grow from that? Really huge for me and something that we really try and hammer home in all of our trainings and our content is how critical a foundation is to your business. Um, without knowing who it is that you're serving and the niche in which that lies, um, is going to be very difficult to ever gain traction and momentum. And that's exactly what I missed in my business. I thought like, well, I know how to create great content and um, I've been in advertising and marketing, so I'm going to help brick and mortar businesses take their business online. Um, but that obviously is not super niche. And I didn't know how to properly describe the services that I had to offer. I didn't understand their true pain points. So there was no marketing for me to really um, create based off from, I just know I can do this. Um, and that really had me struggle. Like I said, I never hired a client or made a dollar sure. in that business because I couldn't communicate what it, who I was talking to or what I had to offer. And what do you think this, the skills that you pulled out that showed you were strong in? I mean, it's easy to, it's hard. I, I think it's easier for us to point at our 
failures and what we learned from our mistakes, but you did some stuff in that time that showed you were amazingly brilliant at some areas. So where did your brilliance start to shine when you were running your own business? What did you see that like, fuck, I'm really good at this, even though maybe you didn't generate revenue. I mean, I think the, I think that helped me prove to myself that like that there was space for this to happen. Um, when I, when I set out to do that, my self-confidence was like very, very low. And, uh, I didn't, I've always seen myself and still believe in in a lot of ways. I'm an introvert. Like I don't really, anyway. Uh, so that, that I could go on a whole thing about (laughs) that, but, um, what, what I realized through starting that business is that, I'm not any of those things. Like I can go out and pitch myself and I can go to mixers and meet people and build relationships and provide value. And I'm a really good connector. Like I love helping people and I love connecting people. And I found that when I was, (laughs) when I was trying to pitch myself, I oftentimes ended up like connecting other people to help each other. Um, which, you know, is, is a great trait and skill to have. I, probably just needed to tone that down a little bit and focus on how I could run my business. <laughs> Instead of helping everybody else. It, it's funny. I always find that with introverts is they tend to be very good at developing relationships because they're very present in the discussion they're having. They're not all over the place trying to have 17 discussions at once and trying to be the life of the party. They're actually kind of more comfortable with that person or a couple people they're chatting with. So they end up building a deeper connection and knowing more about them and yeah, I, I think it's actually a, a bit of a superpower in, in many ways in, in networking. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar. I can't stand cocktail parties. That it, I, I hyperventilate walking into a small room. I'd rather stand on stage in front of a thousand right now and do a speaking event off the top of my head for two hours than walk in. I'm even kind of getting dry. Even like to walk into yeah. a lunch with 12 people, <laughs> I get anxious going to lunch with 12 people that I don't know. I'd hate it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It it, is interesting. Those different, like, uh, you know, moments or or things that are just, you know, not in your strength wheelhouse. What was it that, that had you guys choose the personality profiles that you chose and have you done any in the last, you know, 12 years after started working together? Have you done any? Um, the Enneagram is one that we've done. We've redone Sally Hogshead. So Sally Hogshead was a guest on Entrepreneurs on Fire. And so John had heard about her assessment. Um, and she's awesome. I don't know if you follow Sally or Uh, yeah, we're in the genius network together. I know her. She's great. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. She's just incredible. She's got such a fantastic energy about her. I'm like, this assessment is, you know, we did a whole thing with fire nation and, and people in fire nation took the assessment and Sally did like a whole recap of like what the makeup of our entire audience was who took the assessment. So, um, that's always been a big one for us. It's probably really more about like revisiting the ones we've already taken. Cause of course we learn, change, grow all of that. Um, but yeah, I would say, uh, Myers-Briggs, how to fascinate and the Enneagram is probably the most recent that we've taken. And, and do you do, do you have your employees do those as well? We have had all of our employees do the Sally Hogsheads. What do you, what do you take with that content and your employees? What do you, how do you kind of bring it into the business then? 
so, I mean, our team is like very close knit. It, it's myself and John and three VAs. Two of them are in the Philippines and one's in Pakistan. We have very close communication. We're in touch every single day. Um, and they've all been, one of them has been with our team longer than I have. And the other two have been with us for about eight years now, seven years. And, um, you know, through the progression of like becoming tight in it as a team, me becoming a better manager, John and I both understanding how to, you know, up level our, our team and get them into a position where they're truly doing the things that they love to do and that they feel like they're growing, uh, you know, at the same level that, that we are on a monthly annual basis. And so, you know, getting, getting our team on board with like, um, Sally Hogshead's how to fascinate, it was kind of like going to them with our results and letting them know what a big game changer that was for us and understanding how we worked and that, the better that we understand how one another works and what we're best at. And, you know, in Sally's case, how we fascinate that allows us to better, you know, serve our audience allows us mm. to, you know, work on things that we love. And we've done a lot of shifts in tasks and projects based on that. You know, we've had team members that were working on social media for a really long time, come to find out they don't like social media <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of stuff that can go by the wayside when you're, you know, hit the ground running and working on big projects and stuff. So I think those touch points are really important and how to fascinate has certainly helped. You, you, so you mentioned working with a few different VAs that are, are over in the Philippines. I think you said, what, what are some of the secrets to working well with VAs? First off, how do you, well, I guess going back eight years, you said you've worked with some of them. How do you find really good ones? How do you onboard them properly? And what kind of work do you, do you have them doing? So we've always used Chris Ducker's service, Virtual Staff Finder. Um, he runs a company in the Philippines that they source virtual team members based on um, a job description and, and things that you submit to them. What I love about the service is they'll, they take your job description and everything that you're looking for, and then they go find their top three candidates and only bring you their top three candidates. So you're not dealing with like mountains of resumes and applications and all that, which is, has always been a really great experience for us. We found our employee in Pakistan on Upwork. Um, and I, and that was, we were looking for like more specialized, like audio video stuff. And so we went to Upwork for that. Um, virtual staff finder at the time, anyways, they were focusing on more general virtual assistants. So not really like super specialized. Um, I do believe that they do that now, but anyhow, that's how we found our virtual team members in terms of onboarding. You know, I think it's so critical to think about hiring before you're underwater, like trying to breathe, because at that point you start like throwing stuff at them without properly introducing them to your company, to your culture, to your values, to your vision, to your mission, and all of that recurringly becomes the most important part of onboarding someone on your team, because if they are not on board with your vision and your mission and what you're doing with your content and all this stuff, like none of these tasks matter. And that's something that I've always tried to focus on when training our team, giving them new tasks, um, working on new projects together is like, not this is, you know, the piece of the puzzle that I need you to help with, but in addition, this is why it's so important. And mm. I always try and reiterate that to, um, you know, one of my VAs, Jess, she helps with community, with our community. And, 
you know, a lot of times her tasks are like very mundane and boring. She does, she like handles cancellations and she helps people with their password resets. And for me and for Jess, like that's not super exciting. Right. But when Jess and I sit down and have a conversation about how providing someone service by getting them their password is going to help them learn how to create their podcast. And without that, they're frustrated and it's not a good customer experience. Like that gives a lot more context to how critical that email and that communication is. So that's always been a big part of how we work with our team. I think video has become kind of the norm now because of COVID. Did you work with your VAs mostly over video as well over the years, or were you doing a lot over Slack and and email? Uh, We do, we do Skype a lot. Um, All of our team meetings are on video, uh, but like on a daily basis when we're just sending notes back and forth, Um, again, they've been with us for such a long time now that much of like our day-to-day tasks and projects that we work on are, you know, very much cemented. It's not a Mm. ton of hands-on certainly in the onboarding process. I try and have everything on video, um, as much as possible because I feel like that's such an integral part of the, like getting to know each other and personality and being able to see facial expressions. And I just feel like the face-to-face creates, uh, faster connection, um, and more trust and, and all, I mean, I think it has many benefits to do that, especially in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned that you're really strong on content creation and systems that you really spend time on that kind of stuff. What, what are some of the systems that you've identified that, that are going to make your business more scalable? I I used to talk about stop up, stop, optimize, automate, outsource, like what kind of stuff are you using systemized that is on the automation side? And then are there any systems that just make the business run better that you're doing that maybe aren't, maybe aren't automated, but they're just strong systems still? I mean, one of the biggest things for us is just having funnels in place for the products and services that we offer. Um, so that it's not like starting over at square one every time we want to introduce someone to Podcasters Paradise. You know, if we get an email from somebody that's like, I want to start a podcast help. I have no idea where to start. Um, then we send them to free podcast course, which introduces them to our podcast masterclass, which invites them to join Podcasters Paradise. And I, I mean, you know, just as well as I do, and anybody who is successfully implemented systems in their business knows that this type of automation, it works in tandem to a a personal touch and a relationship. You know, I'm not just like sending someone a link and that's it. Um, I'll certainly start the conversation and create that connection. Um, And then the the funnel just helps give them exactly what they want and need. Um, I would say just uh, also something that's so huge for us is being able to, we've created a lot of templates and um, using tools like text expander and boomerang for Gmail um, follow-up, I feel like is one of the most critical things that you can do in your business. Um, if you don't have follow-up and follow through, then nothing's ever going to happen. And I feel like the systems that we have set up for that are, are very on point and serve us very well. Um, so for example, the, from the minute somebody reaches out, and expresses interest in sponsoring the podcast. Um, We have a very specific set of steps that we follow from the time that somebody expresses interest all the way until, you know, maybe they become a sponsor, maybe they don't, but every communication point gives them a great experience and helps us do it most efficiently. 
Who's doing that for you? Are you setting that up on your own? Are you delegating that out to somebody who's setting up your funnels for you? Or are you working with people who, who are figuring out your funnels for you and telling you what you should be putting in place? How's that working? Um, we've always set them up ourselves. Um, I mean, we've had the great pleasure to learn from some really incredible people in this area. Uh, Russell Brunson's dot-com secrets is such a great, I don't know if you've read that book before or anyone tuning in who hasn't checked it out. Dot-com secrets is really fantastic way to just kind of understand like even the most, um, what I believe should be your first campaign or funnel is just like a welcome sequence and how you're introducing people and bringing them into your world. And he breaks that down in such a great way. Um, so we, we use click funnels to help us with landing pages and, and that, um, we have infusion software, what I now believe is called keep. Um, and that helps us do a lot of the automation with like emails and follow-ups and dropping people into different sequences based on the actions that they're taking. Um, so that's certainly been, you know, huge for us too. And I've just kind of, you know, learned that w when I sent our first email out in AWeber, which was what we were using back in, you know, 2012, 2013, um, all I knew how to do was create a broadcast and press send. Yeah. And now it's like over the years, I've kind of been forced to like figure out what Infusionsoft is all about and how to create a campaign and, um, you know, how to create lists and tags and sequences and decision diamonds and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's part of what I think is really excellent about the position that I'm in is that I get to take ownership of that stuff. And for me, that feels great. That's interesting. I love that you're actually doing all that stuff in-house as well. That's I, It actually leads into my next question for you too, which was what are some of the skills that you're working on right now as a second in command? And, and then what were some of the skills that you had to learn? It sounds like the, the stuff related to funnels and the email marketing was certainly one of the skills you developed over the years. Yes, huge. What are you working that, on now? So right now I am... Well, I mean, a very specific piece I'm working on right now is I'm doing a massive recap of our book launch. Um, so we love kind of doing the behind the scenes thing with our audience, um, sharing exactly what we're doing, how we're setting things up. And so right now I'm working on a, a recap a piece of content that'll be like from idea to launch of the book that we just launched. Um I feel like I'm constantly learning better ways to delegate and create systems. I mean, things change so fast. There's so many new platforms. Um, and, and one thing that, that I'm definitely still working on, but I feel like I'm getting a lot better at is saying no. Um, I had a really hard time with that in the beginning. Um, and, and we receive a lot of really awesome opportunities that I really don't like saying no to, but at the end of the day, you just can't do everything. And I feel like that is a big responsibility of mine to be able to take that off from John's plate so that he's not feeling bogged down by, you know, a, a ton of requests or a lot of things that sound really great, but aren't going to help us achieve our business goals. And so really being able to like filter that kind of stuff is something I, I really focus on these days. That's one of the things I've talked about for years that the second in command is one of our jobs as the COO is to protect the CEO from themselves. Um, so mm. what are some of the things you say no to, to protect John then? Some Affiliate relationships, promotions is probably the mm. biggest request that we get. You know, people want us to promote products, services, courses, challenges, 
pretty much anything <laughs> and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and again, it's great opportunities. I'm really grateful that people think of us and that they want to get in front of our audience. I think our audience is amazing too. Um, but you know, there's a certain point where we can't just constantly be promoting other things. It takes the focus off from our business. Number one, of course, if we truly think that it's going to be like a massive win and a huge benefit for our audience, we've had plenty of affiliate relationships and continue to run promotions to, um, you know, the products and services that we really believe in and that we use too. Um, but you can't just always do that. And, you know, to protect John's time and his sanity and, and the work that we have on our plate, we just can't say yes to all of those things. I'm getting bombarded right now with with requests to be on podcasts to the point mm. that I've created a, a landing page now that any requests, they have to fill out this information so I understand what their show is and what their data points are and how they're going to market it and how they're going to leverage the, the podcast when it's out so that I allow myself to use something to say no to and say yes to the right ones. Um, I haven't I haven't been bombarded yet with the whole like, can you market this to your list part, thankfully. How do you, how, how do you, and I'm actually in the process of, of starting to reach out because I just launched my course, this invest in your leaders course, which is all the skills that all managers and leaders lead that nobody's teaching. So I'm mm -hmm. now starting to reach out to groups to get some affiliate manager relationships set up. How do you say yes to them? What, 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 what's the criteria that you use to try to say yes or to say no to, or maybe instead of telling me what you used to say yes, cause then everyone's going to bombard you. What do you use? <laughs> what do you, what, what's a no? So big criteria is I believe where affiliate relationships can play a huge role is in something that you know your audience needs to succeed that you do not currently and do not want to offer. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like a big hurdle yeah, or yeah. criteria um, for something. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, after that, Anything that's like really super canned, I, I love relationships. I think relationships are super important. We've built a lot of them over mm. the years. Um, someone just like cold reaching out with like a random link from our site saying that they really loved this piece of content right, or whatever. Right. And so they think that their thing would be great. Um, I very rarely engage in, in those types of outreach and some people do reach out with affiliate opportunities like that, which kind of blows my mind, but happens. how did you get past that stage that we all have to get to where we can just delete some emails and delete some requests without even saying, no, I'm sorry. Like, have you gotten to that part yet where it's just delete, delete? Like I, I just, yeah. And, and I don't I mean the spammy ones. I mean, even that. the legit ones that you're like, oh, I should reply, but fuck, I don't have time to reply to everybody. Like, you know what? I start, I have a text expander for that. And so I just hit reply and type three keys. And yeah. it's basically like a thanks so much for reaching out. We don't do this best. Yeah. So, I, I need um, to, I use text expanders for everything except that one thing. And that's mm -hmm. probably what I need to do. Cause then I can do my, yeah, yeah like that's a great idea. Well, yeah. and it also cuts off because like a lot of those, they have it on some type of autoresponder or automatic reply. So like, if you don't reply, they reach out again. Yeah. Um, so the, the quick like text expander just affirms that this is not going to happen. <laughs> those are the only ones that I actually get back to are like the seventh time, like bumping this to the top. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> if you bump me one more time, I'm going to fucking flame mail your company. Like, Stop it. <laughs> um, I had a friend, a friend of mine years ago went and bought a rubber stamp 
and had the person's name and address imprinted on a stamp. And for a year, he collected these business reply cards and contest entry forms and like draws and lotteries and sat down one day with like a thousand of these forms and put the person's name on them all and subscribed this person to more junk mail than they've ever. Oh, that was, man. That was his way of saying like, stop bothering me. Revenge. Like evil. <laughs> yeah, evil. Um, all right. How do you say no to John? I mean, that's forget the fact that you're in a personal relationship. How do you say no to the CEO when he wants to do something and you know it's not the right fit or it's a not now? Maybe it's not a no, but it's a not now. I feel like I'm pretty good at that. Um, John's got a lot of excellent ideas, mm -hmm. but I believe that both of us are very much on the same page about where we're headed and what we want our lifestyle to look like. Mm. And coming to a place where we know what we want our lifestyle to look like, which I know could probably be exponentially difficult for people who are CEO, COO, and are not in a personal relationship. Um, because then maybe you might not be like so close to the lifestyle and the mm. bigger purpose that those people want to live day to day. But because John and I do know that about each other, um, it's very easy to start to build a picture of if you say yes to this, this is what our day, week, month, next year is going to look like. And being able to paint that picture is a very real um, thing of like, oh, okay, got it. You're right. No. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I'm, I'm at a stage where I'm starting to do some stuff to really protect my time going forward. My team knows I'm giving them that as kind of the why behind some of our decision making, like why I'm really focused on the COO Alliance or why I'm really focused on not doing as many in-person speaking events is they understand the why behind that. But yeah, I don't mm -hmm. have that second in command who's telling me no, because they're interests are aligned. Like yours and John's interests are actually really aligned. You're like, no, I don't want you doing that because it's going to affect my life too. So mm -hmm. you're, prote you're protecting him by, by protecting yourself too, which is powerful. All right. Let's go back to the 21 year old Kate. You know, you're just, just graduating college. You're getting ready to go off and start on your career. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? That you don't have to follow a prescribed path. I thought that that was the way and that I didn't really know that there was another way. And I really wish that I would have known that you can create your own path and that it doesn't have to be what you grew up understanding or what everybody else is doing, or, you know, it can be as, as big and exciting and, uh, crazy as you want it to be, as long as you're willing to commit to it, you can create that. That's amazing. Kate Erickson, the engine behind Entrepreneurs on Fire, the second in command, John Lee Dumas. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I'm glad we actually pressed record for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Cameron. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.